Okay. One, two, three, four. Mother Mountain, an acoustic version of Mother Mountain, um, playing, I believe, in Los Angeles. But uh, Blackberry Smoke usually can be found in the Deep South. And last time I saw them, it was in Florida. But they bibop around all over the place. You got to check them out. BlackberrySmoke.com will have everything. Welcome to Columbus Talk, everyone. This is Andrew Orr. I'll be your host today. This is our second episode. Can you believe it? And I thought I would do these every week. And I guess I'm doing that because it's the same week and this is our second episode already. So um, I'll tell you just a minute what uh, motivated this second episode a little bit ahead of schedule. But uh, we'll... We'll address that in just a second. For now, let me dive into the candidate forum at Lion Hills Country Club. Well, I was able to meet the candidates, not all of them, uh, the ones that showed up to this luncheon, and uh, maybe five showed up, six showed up, and I spoke with maybe three of them um, afterwards, but I got all of them on film. Now, all of my video that I shoot, which includes some videos on Columbus, such as this luncheon, which was a Lowndes County Republican Women's Club event. Um, Bill Gavin was there. Keith Gaskin was there. Um, uh, Jackie DeChico was there. Uh, but she's running in Ward 6 against Bill Gavin. And um, they had some other candidates uh, show up. There was a Pierre Beard, a gentleman that I videotaped as well. But they all can be found on my Gab TV channel. Uh, I try to not use Facebook anymore since they're evil. And I use Gab uh, for my social media and uh, Gab TV. So if you go to gabtv.com forward slash or group one, you'll find my page. That's O-R-R-G-R-O-U-P, the number one. And I'll have, uh, I just posted today a video on Friendship Cemetery that I just completed. I just went out there looking around. So hopefully you'll find that one interesting. And there's some older videos. There's a lot of home movies on there that you can skip, skip over. But um, this is my one place to put video of all kinds. So, uh, met the candidates. 
very impressed with all of them. And considering the terrible shape Columbus is in right now, I think it stands a chance of turning this around by getting some competent and caring leadership in there for sure. Now, what motivated this uh, podcast today was the article that appeared a couple days ago uh, relating to Columbus Middle School students, and it appeared in the Commercial Dispatch. And bottom line is the middle school students are two grades behind, which is unacceptable and should be unacceptable. So we'll talk about that in this uh, podcast today. Uh, but since that is brand new news that came out, uh, it really touches upon some things that I've been saying about the need to address education as a, as a, as a way to also attack the crime problem and the poverty problem that exists in Columbus right now. So, um, the bottom line is schools are failing students, according to that research, and graduation rates are down while crime is up, and crime and graduation rates do work in an inverse relationship. So uh, we'll talk also about the, uh, what's called the expatriate corner. I'm an expatriate of Columbus. We are natives of Columbus that have moved away for one reason or another, but we always think about Columbus. We care about Columbus and we um, uh, want to help Columbus in its hour of need, which is right now. So we will have an expatriate section of this podcast. I'd like to put a financial corner on this podcast too. Don't have anything for you right now, uh, except maybe to recommend some place for you to go for financial advice. That was my career. It's still near and dear to me, and I know where to go in Columbus. And uh, once again, our new email address is columbustalk at protonmail.com. Send me an email and uh, I'll be sure to get it and respond to you. So with that in mind, let's jump in the car and get talking about everybody's favorite hometown, Columbus, Mississippi. On my last episode, I said that I would do these every week. Here it is, two days later, and I'm recording my second episode. That's how things happen, I think, in politics. Although this really isn't a show about politics, per se. It's a show about Columbus. Our favorite hometown, your favorite hometown. Um, but Columbus is in trouble right now. 
and there is an election for city council as well as the mayor, so pretty much the entire leadership of Columbus is up for re-election. So we are focusing on politics for those reasons, and um, an article appeared in the Commercial Dispatch yesterday regarding uh, the school system. And that prompted me to fast forward this episode because it really strikes to the heart of the matter. Basically, the article talked about Columbus Middle School District and how the majority of students are at least two grades behind. I mean, the majority of students, that's more than 50%, are at least you know, one or two grades behind where they should be. So, in other words, they may be in fifth grade, but they're really at a third grade level. That is going to show up somewhere else. And where that somewhere else is, is graduation rates. And if you look over the last 15 years, graduation rates have actually gone down. Now, why is that important? That's important because if you have um, higher graduation rates... You're going to have better educated people. Better educated people get better jobs. Better jobs pay more money. When you make more money, you're able to buy a house. You're able to go out and entertain somewhere in town dine at restaurants and so forth and um, education is is vitally important if you don't graduate and it's awful in terms of the high school graduation rates um, you're not going to have higher paying jobs you're not going to have higher wages and frankly you're going to have more crime Crime and high school graduation rates work on an inverse relationship. When high school graduation rates are up, crime is down. When high school graduation rates are down, crime is up. So, one need only look at Tupelo and their school district, which is a highly rated school district, and see where we should be in Columbus. Tupelo and Columbus used to be on par with each other. I remember it uh, swimming against them years ago, and uh, they really were nothing special. I mean, to a degree, we weren't anything special either. We were at the same level as each other and this may have been 20 years ago well Tupelo has exploded in the last 15 years or so what has Tupelo done 
that Columbus didn't do? These are questions we will be asking in this podcast. Because I believe we need to copy what Tupelo has done in many areas. You know, economic growth in particular, but but the school system as well. They've got excellent schools. Excellent schools will attract good employers that have higher paying jobs. Poor quality schools will deter employers. It will keep them away. So no new employers come to town and there's no new job opportunities. There's no real wage competition going on. The citizens are at a disadvantage when the economy is really bad because it's not like there's a lot of jobs around. In contrast, if there were a lot of jobs around, if economic growth was high and positive and companies were coming into the area, uh, those companies will be looking for employees and they're going to they're going to tap into the local availability of talent, which puts the citizens in an advantageous position because they can shop around for the best job. All of these things feed on each other, and we're in a situation in Columbus right now where we have failing schools. The question becomes, are they failing first, and then we have city dysfunction and city mismanagement? Or did we have city dysfunction and city dismanagement first? Mismanagement. And then we had failing schools. And that's really what it is. Uh, The city dysfunction comes first, and then bad things happen, such as failing schools, such as dilapidated real estate that nobody wants to invest in, such as crime. Incidentally, crime was studied in terms of its impact when the uh, graduation rates are higher or lower. Berkeley University did a study way back in 2004. Very in-depth study and concluded um, under no uncertain terms that yes, there is an inverse relationship that exists with graduation rates and uh, crime. That whenever you have graduation rates go up, crime goes down. Columbus has a crime problem right now. We need to look at the school system as a factor. I wouldn't say contributing factor. I think it's more of a lagging statistic, if you will. Um, I think we should fix the city and then the schools will come along. But there needs to be some serious changes that occur with the city, excuse me, with the school, the school district, the uh, school board. In particular, did you know that Tupelo 
school board members are all elected positions so if you want to get on the school board in Tupelo all you have to do is run as a candidate Columbus interestingly school board members are all appointed by city council which essentially is a political fiefdom that includes Mayor Smith uh, Ethel Stewart, Bill Gavin, and probably others. They appoint school board members. Now, when you have a political fiefdom going, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think they are going to go out there and look far and wide for the most competent and caring individuals that could impact schools for the better? You know, people with masters in education, high degree earning individuals. Or do you think the political fiefdom is going to choose friends and family. I think you know the answer to that. And therein shows where we are in the school system and why schools in Columbus uh, need serious attention. And the very first thing that I would do if I was mayor and um, and what that is is moving from politically appointed school board members to school board members that are elected. That's one way we can take power away from the political fiefdom that's not going to cost any money. And it's going to make a huge difference over time. It's not a short-term fix, but it's a more longer-term fix. I would absolutely remove the power to select, uh, to make political appointees on the school board from city council and give it to the voters. Their excuse, there was an article in this, the commercial dispatch probably five years ago, maybe longer, but they discussed this and the proponents of keeping it like it is, where the political fiefdom gets to appoint school board members, their excuse was, well, running an election is expensive. You got it. There's just a high cost to taxpayers. So we'll just politically appoint the members and we'll take politics out of it because... Um, Obviously, people that run for elections have to become political. So they're saying that they remove politics from the situation by making it a political appointee and not requiring people to run for office. Sounds interesting. I mean, I imagine um, elections are, in fact, expensive. Um, but... Interestingly, we have 15 years of this regime's track record to look at. And we know where Columbus schools are right now. They're poorly rated. They're failing. 
Just read the article in yesterday's commercial dispatch. Tupelo schools are far superior to Columbus's right now. So, what about that argument that that uh, elections are more expensive? Well, what's more expensive? To end up with a failing school system or to spend city resources to end up with a school system that excels? Well, that answer is obvious. We want a school system that excels. We want higher graduation rates. We want higher paying jobs. We want lower crime. We want kids to go out and work and find work and find employment and avoid having to resort to crime to get money, which is probably the number one reason people are in the crime business and the drug business is to make money. So the argument that we can't have an elected school board because it's too expensive is ridiculous. What's expensive is creating a failed school system. It may not be expensive in terms of dollars that you have to spend. You don't you save money by not having elections. Sure. But you've got over 50% of the students that are two grades behind. You've got schools that are poorly rated. You've got schools that once a potential employer looks at Columbus and all it has to offer gets to the school category and goes, ugh, let's look elsewhere. Let's look at Tupelo, they're saying. make the school board members elected positions. Get it out of the political fiefdom. They have failed. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over but expecting different results. If we elect Mayor Smith and City Council again we don't change how school board members are selected we're gonna have the same thing happen because we are doing the same thing we're electing the same people over and over we may expect different results they may be telling us in exchange for our vote that we will get different results this time wink wink promises promises but the fact is They've done this for 15 years. You cannot expect any different results if you elect them again. You can only expect the same thing. We need to re-elect, excuse me, we need to elect Keith Gaskin as mayor. We need to have an entirely new city council. Ethel needs to retire. No disrespect to her. She's a leader in her community. Um, this is not personal. We need to separate the person from the record. And the record of city council, which she is a member over these last 15 years, has frankly been deplorable. 
So, unfortunately, Ethel has to go. She's not doing anything for the citizens uh, that she represents. And uh, I think, certainly in Ward 6, uh, Bill Gavin has to go. He's been there 12 years. Vote for Jackie DeChico. Y'all, it's time for change. It's now or never, as they say, at a better Columbus. So, I think another uh, area, another thing I mentioned was crime, and I was looking at some statistics. And speaking of Tupelo, you know, I mentioned that crime has an inverse relationship with school graduation rates. And um, it has a, a, a direct relationship with poverty. You know, the when there's lots of poverty, there's lots of crime. People are looking to make money. I don't think they're necessarily bad people so much, although it's wrong to be a criminal. And they should be punished if they get caught. Um, I think a lack of job opportunities, a, a lack of a high median wage, compels people to choose crime and the drug trade to make money. But how, how does Columbus and Tupelo compare when it comes to poverty. Well, according to the census, you know, Mississippi has a 21% poverty rate. Columbus has a 28% poverty rate. So, almost 50% greater poverty rate in Columbus than Mississippi as an average. Remember I talked about Tupelo having good schools and how that and crime and frankly poverty are working at an inverse relationship. Well, Tupelo's crime rate, excuse me, poverty rate is only 16%. The average in Mississippi is 21%. Tupelo is 16% poverty. Columbus is 28%. Tupelo's poverty rate is half what Columbus's poverty rate is. Why is that? Well, look at median household income. Um, Columbus is at $36,000, while Tupelo is at almost $50,000. Tupelo is almost twice the median household income as Columbus. And Columbus is way down below the Mississippi average, which is $45,000. Columbus is $36,000. So Columbus in this other category, the first one was poverty, 
is below the state average. Columbus is also below the state average in median household income by quite a lot. So there's a lot less money that is being earned out there, largely because there's not a lot of jobs. And there's not a lot, there's not sufficient amount of high paying jobs. Tupelo obviously has done a better job at developing higher paid wages via higher paying jobs. That has attracted people to the area. Um, that has improved tax revenues, which has allowed the city to make investments. Clearly, they've made good investments with the money, unlike Columbus, which seems to have boondoggles everywhere. Um, Tupelo seems to have made some very good investments in the last 15 years that have helped it to attract higher wages, which results in um, a better school system. And largely this better school system is there because the school board is elected. I mean, what about children in poverty? 40% in Columbus, 22% in Tupelo. 40% in Columbus. 40% of children in Columbus are living below the poverty line. Only 22% in Tupelo. This is why we need to change the leadership in Columbus. The citizens are not being helped by this leadership, this present regime. Coach Smith, Mayor Smith, um, Ethel Stewart, Bill Gavin, and I'm sure there are others that are to blame for this really terrible situation, this terrible report card. Call this a report card because it's not personal with them. Mayor Smith is a successful person. He's pursued a career in public schools. He graduated historic black college. He became the first black mayor of Columbus in 2006, which is a tremendous honor and achievement. And frankly, they should give him a statue somewhere for that achievement alone. And, um, but now that he's been there for so long, 15 years, we've got to look at his record and see whether or not the citizens are getting getting anything out of it. You know, are they are they uh, are they getting any positive results? And we don't see any positive results. We're way behind Mississippi averages. Crime is high. School attendance, school uh, graduation rates are low. Children are in poverty. Let's look at blacks in poverty. Columbus, it's 38%. Tupelo, it's 19%, which is what the Mississippi average is. 
I'm looking at this statistic because Columbus is 65% uh, black. The blacks have been voting for Mayor Smith, by and large, for 15 years. And you can't blame them, frankly. I'm not black, so I have to uh, try to put myself in their shoes. We can't do that, obviously, but we can we can try to be empathetic more than we are usually. And um, I'm sure uh, Mayor Smith had a lot of promise. Well, 15 years have gone by, and these have been the results. So clearly, he hasn't delivered. Unfortunately, even though he's been very successful as a person, uh, my argument for Coach Smith is the same argument for Ethel Stewart. Please retire. Make it a retirement. Don't make it a humiliating defeat. Just a statement that says, hey, this isn't personal. Thank you for your service over these many years in your extraordinary career. But we have to look at the record and we need to make a change. Nothing personal. We all have to transcend race. Rick Baker did it in uh, St. Petersburg in the year 2001. He was a, one of America's most successful mayors. Wrote a book about it. Um, could have become mayor, excuse me, could have become governor of Florida, but he chose to go back into the private sector. He's probably retired now. But uh, he transcended. He's a he's a lanky, tall, white, conservative Republican in a largely Democratic district, which is where I live. And we had Midtown down there. And Midtown is very much like Lower South Side, Columbus. And he transcended race and politics. Again, he's a Republican. He's a conservative. He transcended all of that and got elected. Put in his his uh, policies. Worked hard at them. And Rick Baker showed that. We're talking roll up your sleeves. Get into the community. And, and attack every one of these issues, crime, school, roads, uh, pride, you know, pride of ownership, pride in the community. And he was re-elected uh, four years later, and he got 90% of Midtown's vote, which are largely African American. 90%! for a tall, lanky, white, Republican, conservative. So, uh, he had the right idea, and St. Pete has been a success ever since. Uh, Columbus can be that way. Columbus can be Tupelo. We, we've got to catch up to Tupelo. We've got to compete, just like Tupelo is competing for jobs and employers and manufacturers and good schools and so on. And good people, good residents. We want residents to move to Columbus, not to move away 
to move into the county or to frankly move away. Um, there are people moving away because of the poor economic condition the city is in right now. We've got to reverse that. Losing population is not a good thing over 15 years. We want to gain population. Gaining population means you're winning you're winning the race, the competition to get jobs, to get companies, to get employers, to get resources, to get citizens. I did meet the candidates this past week. That was fantastic. Uh, those that showed up. I met some of them, I should say. I didn't meet all of them. But I met uh, Jackie DeRoto. Chico. How you may say her last name. I'm sorry. I tend to butcher names because I'm notoriously unprepared. I should have it in front of me. Um, it is rude. I do apologize for that. I'm driving a car right now, however. But Jackie's an impressive last-minute candidate because she's last-minute because nobody wanted to run. I don't know why. Bill Gavin. He doesn't even have a website, for God's sakes. Um, you know, that's not impressive to me when a politician doesn't have a website. Uh, but I'm sure he's a very nice person. Um, and I'm sure that has taken him very far. But the citizens of Ward 6 will be shown what his record is. And his record is poor. It's not great. It's not Chick-fil-A and Cracker Barrel and you know, picking out names like that that have appeared in the last 15 years. Because we have an, a longer list of companies that have left, that have failed. That's a mixed record. It's really a failing record because when you look at schooling, poverty, income, crime, financial malfeasance at City Hall, I could go on. It's a failure. It's a failing grade, Bill. Sorry about it, buddy. It's time for you to maybe move on and do something else. Thank you for your service. Thank you for giving it your all. But it's been 15 years and it's time for Jackie to see what she can do. Jackie's a business owner. She, You can't get an appointment with her unless you uh, schedule a month in advance. She's very well connected. Uh, she will be a fresh set of eyes, a fresh mind on city council. I am supporting Jackie in, in uh, Ward 6. That election is next month, April 6th. And, you know, I met Keith Gaskin, who he and I have corresponded, but we finally shook hands um, like I had been impressed with earlier he seems to be a very caring and competent individual and uh, we got together afterwards for coffee uh, met for a couple of hours actually and I think I got a sense of the person 
and he does qualify for my requirements which are only that you be caring and that you be competent he definitely cares you know he comes from the education world so that's going to be a good fresh experienced educated pair of eyes that will be focused on the school system when he becomes mayor and he takes his place on city council um, he's got a ma- he's competent because he's got a masters in education I believe it's education pretty sure it is and uh, a PhD as well so that's not easy to do it's uh, it's quite hard to do to get a PhD uh, you've got to write a you know, 500 page dissertation or something present that uh, lots of study and uh, that's why they call it higher education competence he will be competent and caring I'm going to have an expatriate section in this podcast where um, we talk about the fact that a lot of people that are listening here don't live in Columbus. I don't live in Columbus. Um, I'm in Columbus every month and I stay in Columbus for a week. It's like a week vacation every month, but it's it's not quite the vacation that you would normally picture. Uh, I argue there's 200,000 expatriates, Columbus expatriates out there. Because there's successive generations that are still alive. Um, people that have been born in the 20s are still alive. Um, And then all the generations that have been born after that, some of those folks stayed in Columbus. Many of those folks moved on to other places around the world. So the expatriate community, I argue, is a rather large community. A community of people that care about Columbus. You know it's a large community. You can go on Facebook, for example. They have a... uh, Oh, I don't know what it's called, but it's called Remembering Columbus, something like that. There's like like 6,000 people on that one page. Uh, And you know there's three times as much that don't use Facebook that are from Columbus that live elsewhere. Outsider perspectives can be valuable. So I'm hoping to get other expatriate perspectives, not just mine, and to put those perspectives in this podcast. Uh, With my first episode, I did have a couple of new Facebook friends that developed um, as a result of the podcast these are expatriates living somewhere else but 
paying attention to what's going on in Columbus. The expatriate community is a resource to the true caring and competent leaders of Columbus. It's a brain power resource. It's a resource for connections. And it's probably a resource for money. So we're going to start an expatriates fund. And I hope that everybody will consider what it was like growing up in Columbus, how fantastic it was, how innocent it was. You know, the old adage where you could leave your door unlocked at night type of situation where you're less likely to do that nowadays. Um, you know, remember the swim team. Um, remember jumping off the train trestle on the old uh, river bridge. Remember Bob's place. <laughs> anyway, uh, with the pilgrimage and Tennessee Williams and the Preservation Society and with all the great things that Columbus has to offer people, um, those things are really not in the forefront right now because of all the dysfunction at City Hall. So we can help as expatriates by contributing money that can be directed to the candidates, you know, Keith Gaskin, Callie Phillips, Jackie the the Chico is her real name. I'm sorry. And so forth. So be on the lookout for that. And, and money's going to buy advertising. Money's going to buy signs. Um, I think largely money's going to buy advertisement. That's just the way it works in politics these days. So hopefully we'll educate the citizenry far ahead of the advertising. Um, when these go viral, people share it with other people, and you send it to your family, and your family sends it to their friends, and so on. Education happens. Awareness happens. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, black and white, where they were unaware of the state that the city of Columbus is in right now. It's like the regime has been keeping it Columbus's best kept secret. That needs to stop. Now, I had an idea for a, an entertainment district in Columbus that I wanted to discuss at some point. It's not a high priority because we have to fix a lot of things before we can expect some risk investor to come downtown and turn a block somewhere into an entertainment district. But I just wanted to throw it out there as an idea that once we get some competent and caring leadership in Columbus, they could settle the tax situation and the debt situation somehow and really attack this need for economic growth and better jobs.
some investors are going to show up that want to make a risk investment. And they would be open to turning a block or a, a you know five storefronts into an entertainment type of of uh, venue. We have it down in St. Pete. I'm not trying to turn Columbus into St. Pete. I promise you. But uh, there are some serious parallels of Columbus with St. Pete back in 2000 and 2001. The election coming up in Columbus is almost identical to the one that happened in 2001 where Rick Baker won. And um, that's why I keep addressing some things. And St. Pete has been very, very successful with growth, property values, income, you name it. And, um, you know, Florida has that advantage. They have a positive population growth. People move in to retire and wanting warmer climates and so on. I did read an article recently how some people are moving away. Um, you know, there's dysfunction down there, too. But downtown St. Pete, uh, there's a block that's an entertainment block. And there's six to ten entertainment venues, restaurants or bars that have live entertainment sometimes on the sidewalk. And uh, there's a cigar bar down there that I frequent. And, uh, I don't really go out much downtown. I'm getting too old, I guess, and boring. But it's very successful for St. Pete. And clearly a lot of the younger nightlife have an avenue for them to go out and shake a leg if they want to do that. There's restaurants. It's it's really a model if you want to create that type of economic activity. But you can't expect that to happen in Columbus with the way the current economic scene is right now. You can't expect property owners downtown to sink any more money into their property because they're thinking... Is this a black hole that is just going to consume my money and I'm going to be throwing it away? Because I don't see the the city turning around. Schools are horrible. There's no jobs. I can't lease this building, so why would I want to sink $50,000 into it to rehab it when I, I won't even be able to lease it to begin with? I mean, these are things that I bet you the property owners downtown are thinking if the property was in bad shape downtown as it is in most I would say most areas in some areas but the city was great let's say the city was led by caring and competent people they turned the school system around the school system is now highly rated graduation rates are up crime is down Income is starting to trend upwards because companies are moving into the area, etc. But we still have vacant buildings downtown, even though the real estate market is hot. I mean, in that situation, that's what everyone thinks is happening right now. And they jump on these property owners and say, Why don't you sink some money in your property, paint the front, fix the windows, take away the plywood? Etc. Now, in that situation, it would be correct to come down hard on the property owners. 
because the city's doing well, the real estate market is on fire. You're just being delinquent, if you will, not delinquent, but um, you're just uh, not taking care of your property. Well, that's not what's going on. What's going on is they're not taking care of their property because the downtown scene with real estate and business in general and economic growth is so bad. So they are not willing to whip out the checkbook and apparently to even spend a little bit of money in cleaning up their property. I mean, if I was them right now just to stay in good graces with the uh, city, um, I would probably uh, pressure wash the outside of the buildings that are vacant and I would get rid of all the plywood and I would replace broken glass. And then I might paint, get some artists to paint murals on the glass something or just paint them black so you can't see inside and see a vacant building that doesn't take much money i'm sure they could be convinced to do that until the economic situation improves so that they are willing to whip out the checkbook to make more meaningful investments in those properties um, to help those properties become um, leased again so, or sold. Um, I think uh, when things are starting to happen for Columbus, when we turn this thing around, an entertainment district is not a bad idea uh, for purposing a section of real estate in town. It could be very, very successful. I've seen it happen. Another thing that could happen is you can do a a um, you could you could find some real estate that is not in good shape, vacant, run down, maybe a block, and you could get some artists and get these artists to come in and give them like free rent for a couple of years, so long as they clean the property up. But once they clean it up, they're welcome to open up their own store. And what you'll have is you'll have artists that open up art galleries, dress shops, record stores. But no vacant buildings anymore. And they, we did this in St. Pete again. Um, another story about St. Pete. But this was a very successful situation where there was two blocks downtown that faced Central Avenue, which is the main drag, kind of like Columbus's Main Street. And they did this, and the artists came in, and there was about 10 storefronts. And they dolled up the area, they got rid of all the trash, they cleaned the insides out, they repainted where they, re they could repaint, they pressure washed what they could pressure wash, or sandblast, or whatever and opened up their stores. They didn't have rent to pay for a few years, but uh, there wasn't any rent being paid anyway. This is a goal to revitalize this real estate section of town, or this section of town that had poor performing real estate. And believe it or not, people came. People bought stuff. Uh, it became a vibrant area in downtown. And three years went by, the rent went up tremendously. All the artists left because they couldn't afford it. 
but they were able to lease the spaces to businesses, other businesses, and it's it's a success right now. It's not an eyesore. So that's an idea that can work, but you've got to convince the the landowner to forego rent or to charge very little rent for a few years in hopes of spurring some activity in that area. start with some blackberry smoke gonna finish with blackberry smoke take the highway from blackberry smoke out of atlanta georgia check them out at blackberrysmoke.com they're touring you probably can catch them in birmingham at some point i don't know if they'll come to columbus but uh maybe maybe they'll play in that nice amphitheater boondoggle across the bridge there anyway let's end on a positive note i want to thank everybody for listening today we talked a lot about schools how um it's important to have high graduation rates because studies have shown that that generally corresponds negatively if you will or inversely to crime and we know that we have a crime problem in columbus right now and those studies would tell us that we've got a school problem or a high or a, an education system problem and a school system problem and we do we talked about city mismanagement we always talk about city mismanagement of course this is only the second episode <laughs> But because of the impending election, um, this is going to be a theme because Columbus is in serious trouble and we need to all come together, both residents of Columbus as well as uh, Columbus expatriates. Uh, we all need to come together, marshal our resources and uh, do what we can to help Columbus turn the ship around. We talked about, uh, well, we didn't really talk about the financial corner, but um, I announced it and suggested I know where to go for financial advice. You know, I spent 20 years in the financial business, um, started selling life insurance right away, and then developed into a financial planner and a love for financial planning it's a real thing and quite different than the way most financial services are purchased um, well in conclusion I'll just end with a plug for Rhonda Ferguson in Columbus Mississippi um, Rhonda owns financial concepts which is on second avenue north in columbus 
you can reach her online at fincon.net. That's F-I-N as in Nancy, C-O-N as in Nancy, dot net. That's short for financial concepts. She is a real financial planner. Um, just means she wants to learn about you first. She doesn't have any preconceived notions because everybody's different. Everybody's at a different age, different income level, different tax structure, different goals, different objectives, different resources, different challenges. So how could anyone have a preconceived notion when you walk in the door needing advice? Because we are all so different. Well, financial planning recognizes that. And... Um, I dealt with Rhonda and her firm when mom died a year ago and I could not be more impressed. It's pretty much how I ran my firm in Orlando. Anyway, um, be sure to give her a call. Until next time, folks, episode three coming up. Uh, be sure to send me an email at columbustalk at protonmail.com. I don't have a website. I'm not a politician, but I don't want things to manage. I'm not afraid of managing things, but when I commit to managing something, I commit to it. And since time is a precious resource, I don't commit to managing very often. So having a website to me is something that will take a lot of my time and I don't want that right now. But I will respond to email if you want to shoot me an email at columbustalk at protonmail.com Until we meet again...